Welcome to the Life on Repeat podcast with me, Laura Valancourt, licensed mental health counselor, geriatric mental health specialist, and dementia coach. I'm so happy that you found us. Well, hello, everyone. I am so thrilled to bring on two guests today. I have secretly been a fan from afar <laughs> watching Carrie Rodensky. Carrie's developed this amazing program that has just been um, phenomenal for many families. I'm going to read a little bit about her and then we're going to jump into a conversation. But Carrie is the director of the Hummingbird Project. And her love of elders began as a child. She spent time with her grandparents. And I I have to say, so many of us in this field have just been influenced and impacted by our early experiences. So her grandma's house was always her favorite place to be. She combined her passion for elder care and the creative arts by becoming a licensed marriage and family therapist and a creative arts therapist working with elders. Such a unique experience. I love that combination, Carrie. She brings well over a decade of experience to her role as the director of the Hummingbird Project and co-creator of Joyful Moments, Meaningful Activities to Engage Older Adults. She's a proud advocate for the importance of finding and embracing joy throughout life. She has presented to both professional and public audiences locally and nationally about quality of life and life enrichment for older and disabled adults, including several presentations for the Alzheimer's Association, the Aging Life Care Professional Association, and the North American Drama Therapy Association, among others. So Carrie, we are so happy to have you join us today. I'm really excited about our conversation. And so I would love, if you don't mind, just jumping in and telling us a little bit about any any bit about your background that I didn't cover. And then I want to just jump right into the Hummingbird Project and and would love to hear your thoughts about creating that, what the process was, and yeah. Well, thank you so much, Laura, first and foremost, for having both myself and my colleague Susan here today. We're so grateful for the opportunity to to talk about the Hummingbird Project and to also really reflect upon the ways in which the project has morphed, grown, and changed due to the pandemic. So I'm eager to to share a little bit more about that in a few minutes. The only thing I'll add to my bio, which I so appreciate your sharing with our listeners today, is that as you eloquently said, for me, this was so inspired by my grandparents and by my, my, specifically my three grandmothers. I was very privileged to have three of them all who lived very close to where I grew up. I grew up in a small rural community in Southern Alberta in Canada, actually. And so when we talk about me spending time at my grandmother's house, it really was where I spent the majority of my time. And I was so very lucky to have such a close relationship with my grandparents. And they really inspired me to want to pursue work both clinically and creatively in regards to supporting older adults because they were my very favorite people to spend time with. So I'm also actively pursuing my PhD right now with a focus on psychology, gerontology, and the arts because I'm really passionate about how we put the proof in the pudding, so to speak, 
and really talk about the evidence-based practice and the research behind what an enhanced and enriched quality of life means for an older adult, especially someone living with dementia. And also, how do we make that in uh, the norm in our culture and society, right? Right now, it's a specialty. I think it should be a given that all of us get to age in a, in a place and in a world where we feel safe and celebrated and where an enhanced quality of life is to be expected. So that's a lot behind the philosophy in that. No, I love, I I was taking notes as you were talking too. And I'm thinking about the fact that, and I'm sure you could speak to this, the amount of studies and research that is out there based on a person's sense of well-being and quality of life and how that impacts an individual's prognosis or life expectancy. And so I'm sure as, as we jump in a little deeper and you'll talk about a pandemic and how that's impacted folks can touch on some of that as well. Thanks, Laura. I mean, for the Hummingbird Project, really the essence of the services we provide is we're a virtual and in-person therapeutic activity program. And the gift I think that our model gives is that individualized, customized, one-on-one connection. So there are many other programs that exist. And of course, we really encourage the community-based programming of your local adult daycare program, or if you reside in assisted living or memory care, of course, attending those community social programs that are offered is essential to well-being for all of us, right? Feeling connected to others, having that sense of purpose and belonging. But the gift the Hummingbird Project gives is the focus on the individual and the one-on-one. And so for folks who might not identify as joiners, of which there are many in the world, right? There are those of us who like to go to group exercise classes, and there are those of us who do not. That's where the Hummingbird Project can really play a part for people that thrive in the one-on-one connection. So we can tailor what we're doing with that individual based on who they are, their background, their interests, their preferences, even, even simply from the time of day we meet with them, right? We can tailor and customize everything. But then there's also those of us, especially if it's a it's an incredibly critical time in our life, or there's a lot of kind of complicated clinical things happening that really need the one-on-one attention in addition, right, to the social components that might be happening. And with those clients, I find that we kind of become this sacred therapeutic friend almost, where it's this like really treasured connection with the activity specialist who might be meeting with them weekly or bi-weekly, whether it be in person or virtually, but it becomes this really important and cherished relationship that is safe, is, you know, humanistically inspired and all about really supporting a strength-based connection with that person. And I think that that is incredibly important, especially for our clients living with memory loss, because so often the other parts of their life may not make sense in the way that it used to. And we want to become that person or that place or that connection or that activity that's uniquely theirs and doesn't need to be shared with anyone else. And, and we really work, Susan and I, to, to honor that. Oh, thank you. I, I have so many questions. And one of the things that I just want to highlight is what I'm understanding is that the key to this is the individualized approach. And whether you are someone that has historically been a joiner or, you know, social and outgoing, or you historically haven't been. And then there's also a category, I would say, in in between where many times when human beings go through significant change or experience loss or 
whether that's a, a transition like a move or a new diagnosis, especially folks who have memory impairment that are experiencing loss on so many levels, I can see that even if they are participating in activities or even if they used to be somebody that really thrived in that environment, having that one-on-one individualized connection with someone to help put together that plan or that program or just the act of connecting with another individual that is aware, trained, professional, man, I can just see how extremely valuable that that can be. So I'm wondering, can we jump in? Um, And I know we'll we'll bounce around a little bit, (laughs) but I would love to give our listeners just kind of an example about what a session would look like or what, you know, an experience might look like with one of your professionals. And let me back up. What do you call, what would you call these professionals? That's a great question. Thank you, Laura. So our title is therapeutic activity specialist, but as you were recapping just a moment ago, so much about the role of what it means to be a therapeutic activity specialist is about creating experiences and holding a relationship. It's a, it, our program is individualized, but it's also relational. And it's also strength-based. So we focus on our client's strengths, no matter how hard the situation might be. And the truth is the majority of folks that we work with, you know, come to us during a really difficult time in their life and on their journey. I often say if, if the, the individual or client is happily and easily engaged, those aren't typically our clients. When we get those clients, we're super, super happy and excited to work with them because they're a gift. But often people come to us when they're struggling, right? When they're struggling and have disengaged or when the family or a geriatric care manager, fiduciary, social worker, other professional has identified that kind of apathy is at play. The person might be withdrawing a lot. There tends to be depression and sadness. And uh, our therapeutic activity specialists hold this really beautiful lens that acknowledges and honors the clinical side, but then really focuses on the creative strength-based side. And the lens we use for our program is seven domains of wellness and holistic quality of life is our focus. So our seven domains um, (laughs) for for your reference include physical quality of life, spiritual quality of life, intellectual quality of life, and then also creative, vocational, emotional, and environmental quality of life. So when we start to work with an individual, you know, the initiation of services is pretty simple with a phone call. And again, it's the same process virtually as in person, which I'm just going to continue to reinforce because I I think sometimes we think those two are really different. And for our program, we've really tried to keep them as streamlined as possible. And the focus of that phone call is to get to know the client's story. When I'm speaking with, whether it's a geriatric care manager who's making the referral or a family member, what I want to know is what, in your opinion, makes this client's heart sing and what are the challenges or barriers that are getting in the way and how can I hold the challenges and barriers to help them overcome them to get re-engaged? So we kind of play with this phrase, it's both old passions and new interests, because another important acknowledgement, we, we also know this, you know, clinically as well, is that sometimes our interests change later in life and we want to explore new things and we actually might be more open to that than we used to be. 
And the Hummingbird Project is an opportunity to to kind of unveil that and say, okay, let's let's try something new. And if it doesn't work, that's a-okay. And if it does work, well, then it'll be a, a gift. So the sessions, Laura, include all sorts of engagement experiences, as you can imagine. So we try to stay grounded in the seven domains of wellness and the holistic quality of life philosophy. That's our guide. But sessions can include anything from virtual museum tours that could be, again, in person or online. Lifelong learning, there is a certain topic someone wanted to pursue. And again, if they were living with dementia, we wanted to adapt and create a supportive learning process. We can do that. Musical concerts or uh, music in the park, getting people out into the community. It could include art or creative lessons or crafts if it's if this is a person who's would benefit from creative expression. We actually find many of our clients come to us and our referral sources often say, oh, just so you know, my mom's not creative, so don't try any of that art stuff. And we always say, okay, thank you. We noted that. But so often we end up in some sort of a creative process, right? Perhaps not an art making process, but a creative process because that's the way that we're able to connect with the client and help them bring to life what they might be missing or a form of expression that we think they would benefit from. I truly that. I mean, you're speaking, we're speaking the same language. Absolutely, Carrie. And I mean, I know that my listeners and my clients are hear me say over and over again, how important it is to tap into the creative, whether we're talking about working with challenging behaviors that might come up with, with folks or even communicating with professional caregivers, you know, we're always training how to, how to see the quote problem through a creative lens. And so I love how much you're talking about not only the creative process of working with your clients, but also approaching it from a creative perspective on person A and person B and person C are not all the same. And so I know personally, I, I don't consider myself a creative, quote, creative person. But when I think about how creativity flows through my life, it does. It just looks very different. It's not kind of an artsy projects uh, kind yeah. of perspective. And so this is so cool. I, I love that you are addressing all of the variety of ways that you can tap into someone's creativity. And I think the other key here that I want to pull out is what I'm hearing you say and what speaks to my heart so much about your work is it's presenting purpose and meaning back into people's lives. And that. I hear and see so much is people lose this per- sense of purpose or um, sense of meaning. And the, these one-on-one sessions have an opportunity to tap back into what makes people tick, what brings them joy. What That's right. Yeah. I think that's where the vocational quality of life domain can be such an inspiring place to start. So one of the, the hardships that often is at the initiation of services, right? Whether it be a clinical referral or a family member who's reaching out is often, well, how am I going to introduce this, right? Like, how am I going to, you know, how am I going to get my dad to buy into this idea? He's not going to like it. Therapeutic activity specialists, not a helpful (laughs) name or title. And again, this is where the creativity can be helpful because I was trained as a drama therapist. So I'm often thinking about role 
and scripts and anecdotes? And what is the story, right, that we need to join with that this individual is living? And so just to offer an example, and uh, I would encourage people to check out our website where you can see a five-minute mini documentary about a a family I'm going to share with you. But often we'll start with a project. And often if that project is vocationally based, then it becomes less of a focus for the client on the client, right? And instead is focused externally, which is a driving force for so many of us in our lives, right? So much of the work we do in the jobs we do and the communities we're part of is is focused externally. So I worked with a and, and continue to work with a family who I adore and think the world of who when they initiated services, the client had a dementia diagnosis. He didn't have much insight. There was a lot of resistance. And I would also say, I think some concern around this idea of introducing myself as an activity specialist and how could this possibly work, right? And so we came up with the the idea of doing a legacy project. So this was a gentleman who had an incredible life. I mean, his life to this day is so full of stories and adventures that I couldn't imagine. I'm talking running a corporate company, to heli-skiing, to traveling the world, to engaging in equestrian sports, like everything you can think of, he's done it. And so the, the way that I was introduced was as a person who was there to write a book about his life. And so when we started, the sessions were sometimes hard. And you'll see in the video, if you have a chance to watch it, that he speaks to that, that, you know, initially he wasn't really keen on the idea and I had to really think about how to approach it. And that included things like how I dressed, how I presented myself when I knocked on the door, the questions that I had always prepared in advance. I would never not have something ready to go before I showed up to his home. And then also acknowledging from a strength-based perspective, the importance of guiding the conversation in a dementia-friendly way, because we needed, even though we were capturing his life story, not to focus on like linear time, because that was too complicated, as you can well imagine. Instead, we focus on the essence of stories. So tell me the stories from heli skiing. Tell me the stories from you when you were uh, reigning competitively. Tell me the stories of your children. And then my job was to patch those together in a a somewhat congruent way, but in a way that's still focused on the essence of story. And so over time, fast forward three and a half years later, we still meet every single week. It is the highlight of my week when I get to turn off my phone and not think about operations and practice management and only think about my client. And we have this really beautiful friendship and connection that's really focused on honoring who he is and his story. And so the book is published and done and out. Uh, We were able to complete it at the end of last year, but now we're focused on taking photos and videos that he made about his life and creating essentially a digital legacy project where we've been able to have all those transferred digitally and are now sorting through and categorizing them. And it is It is such a gift. And again, it took a lot of creativity from myself and also from his wife to really join with me in how to present this idea in a way that wasn't about 
therapeutic activities. It wasn't about holistic quality of life, right? Those are the clinical things we know and that I hold behind the scenes. But in the chair with him was really about just fostering a, a relationship that is so meaningful and is based in trust and connection and is tr- just tremendously fun, to be quite honest. I get to have a blast with him every single week. So I consider myself very privileged to work with this individual. But it gives this like rich example of how, how to get things started, how to work together, right? As a team, again, we need the family or whether there's professional or family caregivers involved and anyone else involved in the client's care really has to get on board with this concept. And I recommend keeping it as simple as possible, right? And then once you get working with someone, the relationship just takes off and it just rolls from there. And it's really a gift for everyone because it's the best time of the week for, I hope, him and me. Yeah. You you really, when you are fed just as much as the people that you're working with, I mean, that that just shows that you're in the right line of work. <laughs> I'm curious, and I'd love to bring Susan in on this too. We haven't had a chance to really introduce Susan to this conversation, but Susan works with you as a therapeutic activity specialist, correct? Correct. And she's been with our program for over five years. So she's incredibly talented and Susan started as a therapeutic activity specialist in our program in the San Francisco Bay Area. But she now is a Hummingbird Project Manager in charge of our program in Seattle. And in addition to that, she's become a wizard of virtual sessions throughout the pandemic. Susan's done a lot of work virtually with clients all across the nation. And she's done it incredibly successfully. And again, I think the key ingredient here is her creative thinking about how to adapt activities on Zoom, sending packages through the mail doing whatever outreach was needed from people within the client's scope to get them on board to help support a virtual creative connection. Um, So I can't sing Susan's praises enough. I feel very, very honored to work with her. And what a pivot. I mean, I can imagine as uh, someone in the field of therapy and psychology and care management that so much of our work with clients has been one-on-one and really the importance of developing rapport. And when you work with somebody who has memory impairment, that's even more critical. And so Susan, I would love to hear, feel free to just share what, what was it like for you to, to go from working in person with your clients to the virtual sort of world? How did your clients respond to that? How did you respond to that? And how's, how's that going? It's going quite well. I mean, one of the things, the the negative aspects of the pandemic was when I left California was goodbye, goodbye to my clients. And little did we know that, you know, one of the positive aspects of the pandemic was hello again. And so I get to be with a couple of them that I had been with for about four years. And we built quite a relationship. So now I can see um, a certain person that I known for, like I said, four years virtually. And we go back, she was a um, designer at Bouquet of Arts in, at the De Young Museum. And that's, that's what we used to do. We used to visit the museum together and go to the Bouquet of Arts and among a million other things. But now we are doing it virtually. We are doing everything we did together, but now virtually. And, you know, we didn't think that was really going to work in the beginning. It was like, how will this work? And it's actually worked 
quite well. So, and, and I get to keep the relationship with her. So, yeah, I imagine I could see how grateful you are that you have the opportunity to continue to connect with those clients that you have already had that relationship uh, established with. And, and so now that you've been doing that for a little while, I'm curious, how do you feel about, has it been difficult to develop rapport with folks when you haven't met them in person? And what kind of, yeah, what have you learned about that piece? You know, it's just like I said with my last client that I've known, it does take a while because, you know, you are not in person, but not like you would think. I mean, you just know where to touch and how to, just like when I was in person, how to join with that person. And I think once you know how to join with them, it makes them feel all the more comfortable and, and a relationship starts to bloom there too. I could see as a, as a therapist, I was really during the pandemic concerned that I wouldn't be able to have the same therapeutic relationship virtually. You know, we're having this record, we're recording this podcast over zoom right now. It's, it's been amazing to me how easy it is to connect with people. It isn't the same. It isn't the same as in person, but I'm so blown away at how I thought that that the virtual platform would really hinder that that relationship. And I know in my role, it really hasn't. I've been pleasantly surprised. And it sounds like that's been your experience, too. Yes, it has been. It's it's like a phone call with a camera and we can just <laughs> each other, you know. I think something that's a, a, a silver lining, if you will, of the last, you know, well, almost two years, right, year and a half, is the way in which the world has opened up to virtual creative connections and the access we have to things that we never had access to before. And that has been such a driving force for Hummingbird. I mean, when the pandemic hit, like you're saying, Laura, we didn't really we didn't know what was going to happen and what it was going to look like. But what makes me so proud of the team I work with is that that strength-based perspective we take with our client, we took with our program. And we said, all right, I have no idea how to do this, but we're going to figure it out. And everybody came together and we figured it out. I'm like literally getting goosebumps as I'm telling you that because it was just such a such a pivot, right? Um, as you were saying, for the way in which we do this work therapeutically and creatively. And again, I think what Susan's pointing to is the fact that you can do so much online you could never do before. And it's actually easier on Zoom in some instances than it is in person. So example, right? I'm working with a, a client right now this lovely woman um, living with really advanced Parkinson's who actually lives quite close to where I am and prefers to meet on Zoom. Why? Because I can do a screen share. And right now she and I are exploring the Metropolitan Museum of Art and looking at Impressionist paintings. Well, that's much easier to do, actually, if she's set up with an iPad and I can do a screen share and she can be cozy in bed with her little Kit Kat beside her, um, keeping her company. And then that, there I am on Zoom and we're, you know, going to the Met online and taking advantage of these incredible resources that in particular museums have been just so generous about during the pandemic right? Where if I was meeting with her in person, we'd be sharing a screen and I'd be trying to show her and it wouldn't be as natural as it actually can be on Zoom. And then another just, this is a tip and trick for y'all out there, is uh, legacy projects, super easy on Zoom. 
get your family together, right? And get grandpa to join you and ask him really rich, beautiful questions, right? Like inspired by the work of Ann Basting or the StoryCorps project has great questions too, but get people um, together on Zoom and connect with them and show pretty pictures or ask beautiful questions and get them talking. And it's just incredible. It can be actually, I think, easier for some of our clients than in person, right? Because in person can sometimes feel like it can feel overwhelming. It can feel like you're hosting someone in your home, right? It can feel like you need to get up and get dressed and get ready because they're coming. And yet on Zoom and your iPad, you can just cozy up right exactly where you are with your comfy blanket and your therapeutic activity specialist on the screen and have amazing access to incredible resources we would have never had right at your pandemic. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I have a question for you. What I, as you were talking, I was thinking about the different stages of dementia and I'm really curious. I can, I can see how effective this work would be all through the stages. I can also see how families may not understand how this work would be effective for folks in the later stages. Do you have any, anything to say about that or any example share for later stage? Yeah, I think for our program and our experience, it's all been about adapting, right, to the client's needs, no matter what stage they're in, but then also to the family's needs. So just to offer a couple of examples, when we've worked with people in late stage or also in some of the work we've done with people um, on hospice throughout the pandemic, music is a beautiful answer. And you and I know that you can turn a CD on or you can play beautiful music from an iPhone and that can be deeply healing and and is a necessary part of a quality of life care plan, right? But we also know if you could have a musician live on Zoom, cozied up to you, and if your loved one was sitting with you and could make requests for your favorite songs that then, you know, a talented therapeutic activity specialist who also happens to be an incredible musician could play live and tailor the songs and include your name in the songs. That can be something even more elevated as an experience, right? It's this really rich connection that can be shared. So that's the the example that comes to mind for me. But another way that activity specialists have worked with people in in later stages in particular, has been bringing families together. So we have another client I'm thinking of who we work with and the family would get together with one of our musically trained therapeutic activity specialists and they would sing songs together as a family. So bringing people in from all over the world on Zoom and then she would play music or would have prepared songs and have a songbook in advance so that everyone can sing together. And so then it's not just the voice of the activity specialist, but it's also the voice of the family being shared a person. So that's just a couple of creative examples. But uh, as you said, I think there's so much possibility. Also with therapeutic activity kits through the mail or working with an activity specialist who can make recommendations for different props or items that you can use with your loved one is also a really rich way that we can support people through different stages. Amazing. Oh my gosh. How about family members? What kind of feedback have you gotten from family members? I I mean, so much of what we talked about, you know, is focus on the individual receiving. And I'm curious, 
we have a bunch of, of course, family caregivers that are listening. And so I would love to hear from a family's perspective on, you know, what you've heard, what, what they've seen, what they've noticed, the shifts that, that might occur or those sorts yeah. of things. I think the most powerful anecdote that comes to mind, you know, a quote from a family member was that they feel that the positive experience of the session carries over into the person's day. So it's not just that hour, right, of time when we're there, but that that strength-based, positive, humanistic, relational time with the activity specialist serves throughout the day which then also supports the family member, right? In easing their day. And that's, I hear that a lot from families. And the other thing I, I appreciate about the Hummingbird Project's approach, Laura, is we send out reports after every session. So those reports are usually just a couple of paragraphs long. We often include a picture and we you know, talk about what happened in the session. We might include some notes if there was something in particular we wanted the family to know or, or the, the other clinicians involved to know. And over and over and over again, the feedback we get from families in particular is how grateful they are for those reports because it really shows the value, right, of the time. And often if it includes a picture too, it really shows the person having a joyful experience, a joyful moment, right? And that is what we all want at the end of the day. That's why we we do this work. And so families find those reports incredibly valuable. Um, I'm thinking particularly of a family that we're working with right now who'd reached out and at first actually felt a bit of a disconnect between what the activity specialist was saying, which was this really positive artistic experience with the loved one living with memory loss and the family going, well, that's not my mom or that's not my wife. Like, you know, she's actually really unhappy and like almost questioning, could it be this good? And then the activity specialist started taking a few extra pictures, of course, with the clients like approval and support and a couple of videos and started sharing them. And, and the family really acknowledged like, wow, your relationship to her is really different than mine. And us helping them make sense of like, yes, and that's good. And our goal, right, is to continue as time unfolds to to use this time to help create that sacred space for her where she can express herself creatively and also to then share with you as we gain more knowledge what we felt worked, right? Was it the environment? Was it the specific materials we brought? Was it the fact that we showed up with a cup of chamomile tea and sat and drank tea for 10 minutes before we dove in? Like we want to share with you what we feel like is working so that then you can also try that in your relationship. It becomes a transferable skill for us, all, for us both, right? And supporting so that valuable. Yeah. When we're doing, when my team will do um, like challenging behavior evaluations and assessments, we're looking at, yes, what, what was happening before, what, what's happening, you know, during whose approach is working better. And so I love that idea that you are sharing what works with the family so that they can even replicate that on their own. The other thing that also, if I may, I really want to share a resource with with your listeners, in particular your families. So a couple of years ago, uh, before the pandemic, we um, published an incredible resource that's available on our website for $24.95, which are Joyful Moments Therapeutic Activity Cards. I'd highly recommend folks check them out, especially we, we, we especially created them for family caregivers, but they're, they're also used 
by professional caregivers all, all over um, the nation right now. And the, again, one of the silver linings or gifts the pandemic gave us was this resurgence with a focus on our Joyful Moments cards, because again, it was about providing people support at home that was affordable, right? And so I really want to point folks to, to our website to check those out, because the idea behind the cards, just to give you the essence of them, they're focused on those seven domains of wellness I've referenced. So there's a domain card and three activity cards for each of the seven. Okay. So the domain card will give you some of that evidence-based practice and research on why we believe at the Hummingbird Project that domain matters. Okay. So again, proof in the pudding, giving you some of that knowledge. And then there's three cards for each of the seven domains. And the idea was to take the things that Susan and I have been doing for years that we know and we love and to give them to families and say, you can do this with your loved one. And it's really about layering on the quality of life goals to things you're already doing. So I'll give you an example, taking a themed walk something we all should do, right? Um, getting out, getting exercise, enjoying nature. The idea behind the themed piece is focusing on something that is, again, creative and will give you some intention for the walk. So if the your loved one really doesn't want to go on a walk, and I get that some days I do and some days I don't, then if we take a themed walk and we try to notice all of the fall decorations on people's patios, or how many red flowers can we find on the street? Or let's take a themed walk today and see how many birds we can hear chirping. Again, adds this like creative element. It's also an element of fun, but it also gives an intention that isn't about like, oh, I have to go on a walk because my doctor said I should go on a walk and I don't want to go on a walk. And so that's the essence of the activity cards is things like taking a themed walk, a taste of life, an attitude of gratitude, a, a dog day afternoon, spending an afternoon at a dog park to watch dogs play. Um, these, these really user-friendly tailored activities that are presented like a recipe card. So activities on the front, exactly how to do it step-by-step on the back. And they're a fantastic resource and a great place to start. Amazing. You know, I hear from families all the time how they caregivers can carry so much guilt, right? That they're not doing enough or that they don't know how to engage or connect with their loved ones. And so I love this option. Um, Not only working with a therapeutic activity specialist, but then also having this tool that they, they can go buy these cards and take home and utilize them and then build upon them, I'm assuming too. Yes, yes. And one of the things that we were passionate about when we when we published the cards, Laura, was we wanted them to be dementia friendly and they are, but we didn't want to focus on stages because we, we wanted to do away with the biomedical way of thinking and instead focus on the essence of let's find an activity that you as activity partners enjoy doing. So again, thinking about role, like let's let go of I'm family caregiver and I'm person living with dementia. Let's let that go. And let's be two people having a joyful moment and an experience together. And so I just wanted to offer that. So the cards are written very simply with tips and tricks and additions on how to put a twist on things that you can revisit them several times and change them up and add different focus or reach out. There's resources on them as well for ways you might share with friends and family. But again, we really wanted to make them user-friendly for all people and adaptable for all of us 
no matter what our, our cognition or simply the kind of day we're having, right? In our experience. Oh, beautiful. I love how you said that too. Just to, two people connecting. That's really the essence of what, what this is about. Uh, so can you tell us a little, I, I just want to thank you so much for coming on, both of you, Susan and Carrie. Tell us how our listeners can find out more about you, find out more about the Hummingbird Project. That would be fantastic. So people can. Yes. Thank you, Laura. So our website's pretty easy to find. It's www.hummingbirdproject.net. So dot N-E-T. We're also active on Facebook, on Instagram, and on LinkedIn. So you can find us there. And then I'm also just going to leave my phone number so that if anybody wants to reach out directly for support, you are welcome to do that. And my phone number is 415-948-0496. Again, that's 415-948-0496. And I welcome everyone to reach out. And if you would like resources. If you, we have um, some some fun handouts on our website that you can download. We've got a link to our Joyful Moments activity cards to our website, um, and we also offer thirty minute complimentary consultations to anyone anytime. And the secret is Susan and I love those <laughs> consultations because they're our favorite creative time. Right? We get a phone call from a family member or professional who says, "Hey, I don't know what to do here." Uh, help me brainstorm. And so I just really want that to be an open-ended invitation to all listeners. Feel free to reach out. I can't get back to you directly. I will make sure someone does. And it would be our honor to support you on this journey and to make sure that your quality of life is as important as everybody else's. Fantastic. Well, I will make sure that I link all of those resources, that how to reach you and your number Maybe. and all of that. Yes. On the, on the show notes of the podcast. And I just want to highlight too, that again, because of this pandemic, you're, the Hummingbird Project has pivoted to offer these services online. So there's no limitation to location now. That's right. And, um, that's fabulous. Well, Carrie and Susan, thank you so much for coming on. And I, um, it's just really nice to know you. And it's really nice to, to know the work that you're doing out in the world. Well, thank you again, Laura, for having us. It was really a gift to be included. And I appreciate you and all the work you're doing and, and the beauty of your podcast, as I, as I shared with you earlier, it's really a gift. So thank you for bringing it to all of your listeners. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have comments or would like to send us a message, you can send it to info at lifeonrepeatpodcast.com. Please also consider following us at Life on Repeat Podcast, either on Instagram or Facebook. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute, nor is it meant to convey professional, legal, psychological, financial, or medical advice. If you can use such services, please seek them out from someone you trust.